The clock is ticking. Be in front of your keys. everybody welcome back to let's talk movies i'm brad i'm miguel happy saturday night got the kettle corn out God, i needed a snack i had a really big lunch so i didn't eat like a big dinner and i had some kettle corn so i was like i'm gonna pop in the kettle corn and uh have a little snackage as we as That's we hang out and do our thing i have like fucking uh poppers kettle corn free fire poppers kettle corn what's poppers Popcorners is what it's called. Mm. I don't know yeah. if you said poppers, like jalapeno poppers. Jalapeno no, popper it's actually pretty corn. good, dude. That'd be disgusting. I've obviously never had fucking jalapeno poppers. That shit is fire. I haven't Here's had that in like years. Jalapeno poppers are good. Here's the yeah. thing, though. You, you, you can pick one. The other one goes away forever. It's like sweet, like traditional kettle corn or buttery popcorn. Kettle corn. That's what you'd keep. Oh, that's what I get rid of. I don't know. I don't know oh. if your edit for yeah. the question was. It, legit kettle corn is good. Like I'd pick butter popcorn all day though. I mean, I can do kettle corn every once in a while, but like, it's mm-hmm. not a. As I'm dropping it on my lap, it's not like I'm not a. I'm gonna eat it constantly kind of person. It's not me. But it's just I'm a it, like guy. after a while it can get really sweet. But then again, I've talked to Sierra about this. I I've gotten sick from popcorn because I eat way too much and I eat it way too yeah. quick. So, Especially, like, for instance, what we're about to talk about today, when we're doing Oppenheimer, like, she told me, she says, do I need to get my own box? And I said, I guess so. I don't know. Is this a long movie? She said, yeah. I said, okay, maybe. Yeah. Well, especially if you get, like, the, like, cinema, cinema popcorn is the best, but it also is super, super greasy, and if you go too, too hard on it, 
It makes You're your stomach all you that that guy who does the the TikToks whenever they oh my stomach's bubbling like it's like that dude. Ooh. yeah oh my stomach no I get it like <laughs> I have definitely done that I think when I saw Enter the Spider Verse or Across the Spider Verse I did that because I my go to which we could I'll, I'll ask you what your go to is obviously but my go to like purely like wanting to go see a movie and enjoy it is like a medium popcorn or large and a uh, large slushy. That's I'm a popcorn and coke kind of guy. Yeah, like I'm in, and I used to be like that, but I just found I just I just enjoyed uh, the slushies a lot more. So imagine that much sugar and then that much butter going in your yep. body for two and a half hours, if not sooner, because you're a slob, and then you yep. get out in the sun and you're over like. <laughs> Yeah, you all bloated yeah. when you leave the movie theater. I'm not Bro, a big soda I have, person, I have but at the out movie of the theater, theaters with the sun beating down on me after eating so much popcorn, like I generally felt sick after I left. I said, "I don't think I can do this." <laughs> you said, mm. <laughs> "Bro, I, I I didn't feel good." Yeah, so well, uh, listen, we're gonna have a little bit of some popcorn ASMR going on here. And uh, listen, this is episode number 116 of Let's Talk Movies. We have been gone. On a little bit of a hiatus uh, for two weeks, um, I'm getting back into the swing of uh, being in teacher mode. Miguel's been busy at work. I've been busy at work. There's been a ton of stuff going on, um, and I literally haven't even. I when I opened my laptop earlier to make the thumbnail and to like schedule the show and everything, it was dead. Like I literally have not opened my laptop for like two weeks straight. Also, it was so, like just not. It was not turning on. You had to charge it. That's funny. Yeah, Mine's always on charge, which is probably a bad thing. Yeah, I have not been in channel mode, so sorry we've been gone for a little while, but hopefully we're getting back into that, you know, that rhythm, that constant, like, that schedule. Because, you know, the summer, even even people who have jobs that go through the summer, I feel like the summer is still different because everybody's, like, out doing stuff at night and, like, it's just a different, it's a different time, you know, than the other. Like, in winter, it's cold out, you know, like, when you go home, you're just home. You don't want to go do anything else. Like, cuddle up with a blanket on the couch. But, you know. No, I get it. Summer's, summer's a little bit different. So, getting back into this wing. You know, I was thinking about this earlier. It's different as a teacher. Like, ba like back to school mode. Do you remember that, like, distinct back to school feeling? Like, when you walk in, like, a grocery store. And, no. like, all the, like, crayons and everything are in the hall. Like, you don't remember that? Oh, Yeah. It was always such, like, a distinct feeling of, like, okay, the summer is, like, like, the summer has officially come to a close now, and, like, it's school time. It's time to get rolling again. So. No, I've definitely felt that in some regards. I felt that the other week because of, uh, with the school coming back in near us, because I live near a university. Mm -hmm. Bro, I never wanted to, like, not go into a Walmart ever again. Yeah. Until, like, it's crazy. the other day. I truly felt like. I was like an old guy, and I was like, all these young generations just getting in my way. <laughs> yeah. I was we like, talked about that last night. Um, I had a late night at work, and Miguel and I went and ate dinner last night. And I was like, are we becoming the people that just want to, like, have a beer after work and, like, are irritated by loud sounds after you've been at work all day? Like, are we and I was like, like, I was that? like, no, man, I like to enjoy myself going out. And I was, no, I actually don't like this anymore. Yeah, <laughs> like, I don't... I just want a good dinner and, like, either to go home or to go, like, just to have a beer and hang. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's funny. I mean, We're yeah, at that's... that point in life. Hey, I'm okay with that. That's a – to some people, that's considered a milestone. It's okay. 
That's okay. It's all right. Hey, did you did you hear? I just saw your cup. Did you hear Bucky's? They're gonna build another Bucky's, like fucking in Kentucky. Yeah, I saw that. On, well, I saw the news about one in Ohio. They're putting one in Ohio now. Um, okay, like yeah. Everything, uh, everything from the south is moving up. Like Publix. Listen, I I've I, I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the show. I'm from Florida, and Publix was our Publix is the best grocery store of all time. Like, there's just there's no comparison. Kroger, I'm sorry, but there's not. Um, and they're putting in a Publix. In Lexington, they're putting in a Publix in Northern Kentucky. I think they're putting one in Southern Kentucky. Like, Pu- Kroger, Publix is making the move on you. Like, they're getting the jump on you. It's happening. It's it's it. The only thing about Publix is it's super expensive. Like, it's way more expensive than like Aldi or Kroger or Meyer. Like, it's like it's definitely like the rich people Kroger. Yeah, it's. I don't, how can I say this? It reminds me of. Uh... Because I've heard the same thing about Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's is know what Trader too. Joe's is. I mean, that's like, that's comparable, but Publix that's, is bigger. That's somewhat expensive. That's what mm-hmm. I was told. Because I was like, man, I haven't been to. I have never been to a Trader Joe's. I like to go to one. But then they're like, yeah, but it's also like really expensive. And I was like, yeah. man, I already spent a lot at Costco anyway. So yeah, uh, your girls here. What's up, Sierra? Hey, darling. And uh, the Hatchet Boys, what's going on, Hatchet? I thought you were still in the Wham Chat, buddy. Um, stop by oh, the Wham welcome. Chat. Talk to yeah. uh, Michael Parton was in there. A couple people were in there. Hatchet was in there as well. Um, so tonight, as we said, Oppenheimer is the main topic of the evening. Um, we saw that two weeks ago. That's it, it, We've had a nice chance to stew on that movie um, for a little while because it was a lot. And honestly... When it comes out on Blu-ray or to rent it or whatever, I might rent it again and rewatch it just because there's so much information. It's almost difficult to like process everything because there's so much history and so much information that was just like vomited at you in a three-hour time span. Um, so I, it, 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 we both really enjoyed it. Um, we actually, we didn't, do you realize we didn't do a, a, a spoiler-free reaction to that? Like, completely slipped both of our minds when we left Lexington. To no, fair, I did. We also went to, we went to a different theater than we normally go to. Yeah, no, I knew. Because, because of that exact thing, because we were in a new environment. Yeah. It was three hours. We, we were, were scared. Buck tired. I'm sure we were like... I don't think we can manage this. I cannot give you yeah. the, the. We also exciting... parked like three or four blocks away, so we had to walk. Yeah, back to our car. It was, so it we was... gotta we gotta walk a dick here just to get to the movie theater, <laughs> eat a bunch of food, and then pursue to like continue to eat popcorn and drinks, and then walk another dick here back to our our our, uh, our cars. Yeah. So I was like, Burr. well, we had some fire burgers though. I'll tell you where I really want to eat at. They opened a Nick and Norman's in Lexington. I really want to eat there. Maybe that'll so be a You mentioned once. it the other day. You mentioned it that during that movie, Darren. And I was like, man, if we weren't like somewhat pushing time, I would have. Yeah, but we're, we were cutting it close. I think up. we were just pushing time. Otherwise, I would have went to Nick and Norman's. I looked at the pictures and I looked, I looked at the pictures what it they had. It looked pretty fire. Yeah, yeah. Like they have one in Sonoya where they filmed The Walking Dead. And I think, I want to say there's one in Atlanta too. I think there's Sonoya, Atlanta, and Lexington. So Why Lexington, I guess, though? I don't know. Because Sonoya and Atlanta are like places that they were filmed. Exactly. The so only thing Lexington I can think of 
is because it originated in Kentucky, but it originated in Cynthiana. So like, but also Cynthiana is not really a big enough town. Careful what you like, say. We know. have fans here. Careful. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just saying no offense to anybody in Cynthiana. It's just, it's, it's not a really big town. You know, I have people, no. I know people from Cynthiana. I mean, so do I. I'm not knocking shout it. Shout out, shout out to the Cynthianians. I, absolutely. Cynthianians. Cynthianians. I really want to do, dude, we got to go film there. We do the the Walking Dead like walking tour, the Walking Dead walking tour. See the mural and you know. Well, I mean, it's self guided. It's like just kind of different locations, hitting up different locations that like inspired, um, like the the street that inspired Rick's house in the comics and the you know uh, the hospital, um, the mural stuff like that. There's just, there's all kinds of you know different okay. stuff. Fun, yeah, I like to fun. do that. We'll set up the time for that. Mm-hmm. Just head it up, Wait, take a half a day. Cynthiana or do I? Um, it's kind of in between. It's kind of in between. It's yeah, out of the way for kinda, both of us, though. Yeah, yeah, it's I'd it's it's a little bit slowly triangulating triangulating our our location. Keep doing it, buds. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, listen, I'm also drinking this uh, this tea. It's called Russian Caravan. No affiliation to Mother Russia, but it is it's so good. It's like a really dark, smoky thing going on. I dig it. Listen, I'm we've talked about our snacks. We've talked about uh, how we don't like loud sounds. We are becoming like middle-aged men. It's happening. That very well could be the case. I'm not going to lie. It's happening. We've got middle-aged syndrome. And I'm a dad. <laughs> the next thing that's going to happen is I'm going to I'm gonna wear long white socks, jorts. Got to get those jean shorts tucked in with a black belt. That's what's next. It's my future. I think George. You know, it's a future that I'm actually like kind of excited to see you in. You know what I mean? Because you know, I'm used to seeing you as college boy life, then border life crisis life. Like I'm excited to see you as a dad. I will say, I love being a dad, dude. Very rare you see a man uh, say that. So it's the best thing ever. The greatest. So. Well, you uh, lucked out because you have a pretty great kid. Every time this man sends me pictures, like almost every single other day, and. He, this kid is just an absolute sweetheart. Like shout out, shout out to your boy. I have an awesome. And uh, yeah, yeah. Um, other thing, I saw real quick. Not, not necessarily huge movie news. Anything like breaking. Uh, before breaking we get rolling with news. Oppenheimer, breaking news. But um, but um, but um, but Wait, that's Sports Center. That's not even the right thing. Whatever. Um, uh, boycott what Warner Brothers Discovery has been trending like all day. Because boycott, what boycott Warner Brothers Discovery because people are so irritated with the DC thing. People really think that they should fire James Gunn and Peter Saffron. I'm not saying they should, bro. The man hasn't even put out a movie yet. I know. Which here's the thing. I I must say, it is kind of irritating that they were like, "Hey, the Flash." This is going to reset it. This is going to be the one that makes all of it make sense. And I felt way more confused after The Flash than I did before The Flash. Like, And then Blue Beetle is here. I read two reviews for Blue Beetle. And they were both the most lukewarm reviews I've ever read in my entire life. Really? Like, it's basically like... Uh, somebody, I think it was... <coughs> as I choke on a popcorn kernel... I want to say it was um, maybe Brandon Davis from comicbook.com. Uh, he had mentioned 
that it's very remnant of Spider-Man Homecoming or Iron Man. Like, it's it's fun, but I don't think it really brings anything, like, earth-shattering to the, to, <clears throat> to the superhero thing. So yeah, How dare... I don't know. How dare a superhero movie not be uh, fun? Well, here's the thing. I I don't... It's the same thing that, like, has happened with the whole thing. It's like they, they just... They rush... Like, I understand Blue Beetle is a cool character, but, like, why now? Like, why when you're trying to rewrite a universe? Why is, like... I don't get why they're coming out swinging with Blue Beetle. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it just feels like they're they're still trying to walk before they can run. Like, right now, it feels like more of the same thing. Um, and then you combine that with the confusing mess of the timeline and what's happening. Like, it, it just... It, it, it There's so many questions about the timeline and about, like, wh- what what direction are we... I feel like Jim Carrey in Liar Liar when he's like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, it just... I, I don't understand where where they're going towards like where does like after blue beetle if i oh no there's aquaman aquaman's not going to reset the the dc universe dude the uh the early reviews for aquaman and the lost kingdom you already have that are uh i well they've done test screenings and some of the reviews to come out of the test screenings were like are they bad uh, not good Uh not good chief so I don't know. I, I I I wish them the best. I don't. I don't think they should fire James Gunn because I really like James Gunn. Honestly, I know a lot of people hate on him. I, I like. Well, I mean, James what do you? Lot, I but, mean, what is what? What are you gonna do? What is James Gunn gonna do with projects that are were already finished? If you think about right. it, and he's trying his best. Like, look, and that's Peter is, Saffron right there. If you wanna, if you really wanna fire someone, fire Peter Saffron because I mean. Nobody been there. He didn't produce The Flash. He didn't produce Blue Beetle. He didn't produce Aquaman. I get that. Get those out of the way. But I still feel like those people could have worked with him a little bit more and been like, okay, how are we resetting this universe? Like, it's going to be mm-hmm. weird. You would you could almost argue that The Flash and Blue Beetle take place in an Elseworlds thing, in a DC Elseworlds thing, because it's like it just doesn't – what they've described the new DCU as, like in that five-minute clip or whatever, five, six-minute clip that came out like a couple months ago, it just doesn't it, it doesn't feel like it should connect. I don't know. It's weird. There's a lot of questions. So, I mean, I get people's frustrations with it, but I don't, <clears throat> I don't think they should fire him yet. I don't think we should fire him before we've even seen what he can do. And I think to... Yeah, I, I haven't I think seen about, a project... That has James Gunn's like his like actual stamp on it. If that makes sense. Well, Superman Legacy so. will. Yeah, so I mean that's like, directing. but you understand that that's like a little ways down the road, and like for people to like right. already want him to be gone. Yeah, it's like then at that point you're gonna have a a, a title that's that doesn't have a original creator, and then you're just yeah. gonna perpetually fuck up this cycle of like having people come in to fix something that hasn't even fucking started. If that makes sense. The thing is. I um like like the thing that keeps me on board with James Gunn is you know any I I see a lot of complaints on on Twitter on X 
and whatever else about like he takes all these characters that nobody cares about and shoved them in the movie and he's like oh it's contributing to the plot or whatever he took the guardians of the galaxy which nobody knew who the guardians of the galaxy were before he tackled it and he made them like some of the most popular characters in the marvel universe like I think about that. I mean, they're like, they are okay, like a cornerstone if, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. If that makes I know. sense. Yeah. Like, we and, don't have and, to. We don't have to like get into like the spiel of like what happened of like what happened to James Gunn. Honestly, I mean, we all already know. We know that story. Yeah, goes, I, and, and we know how it ended. I wasn't gonna so go like, there. It just mm-hmm. anytime anybody's like, "Oh, he's bringing in too many extra characters," I'm like, "He brought in extra characters on that, and look at what happened." So like, I, I'm not I'm not yeah. counting chickens before they hatch. But I will say it's frustrating not knowing kind of a not at least feeling a direction. It doesn't feel like there's any kind of gravitational pull towards one universe or one singular story. It just feels like it's just this crazy mesh of a bunch of different things. So I don't know. Um, but Austin's here. What's going on, Austin? Uh, Hatchet said, so is this new Nightmare on Elm Street news for legit? I haven't heard anything about it yet. Uh, Not necessarily news. It's just, it's more of a discussion about where it should go next. You just lost the viewer right there, I'm guessing. Well, that's okay. Yeah, it's fine. (laughs) So, like, okay. We're not going to pretend to be scoopers because we're not. (laughs) Do you want to, do you want to jump into that or now since it was asked? Yeah, we can go ahead and do that. So, last week, uh, there was this or I guess it was a couple weeks ago, I don't know, Some sometime in the last, in the blur that is the last two weeks for me. Uh, there was a Twitter account, a couple of Twitter accounts, a couple of people that were sharing news about, hey, Blumhouse has picked up A Nightmare on Elm Street and there's a new uh, Legacy sequel coming. And I was like, okay, I haven't heard that anywhere else. I mean, we we covered this a long time ago when... Um, Jason Blum had said, oh yeah, I would love to pick up the rights to Friday the 13th and A Nightmare on Elm Street. And we knew that Wes Craven's estate was taking pitches for a new Elm Street project, but it was never confirmed by Bloody Disgusting or by Variety or Collider or any of the major trades that that was ever happening. And usually when, I mean, when a studio picks up a property as big as A Nightmare on Elm Street, somebody picks it up. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And nobody had picked that story up. And suddenly everybody came out and it's, I mean, you know how quickly rumors spread on the internet nowadays. Um, And it was just, people were throwing it out everywhere that, Hey, Blumhouse is doing a new Elm street trilogy. It's going to be a legacy sequel to the original, which of course kind of spiraled people being like, Oh, is Robert England going to come back? Is Heather Langenkamp going to come back? Is Nancy like, is, uh, is everybody coming back to do all this stuff? And it was very quickly, uh, shot down as not being true. Like people from bloody disgusting, uh, the, a lot of the bigger horror YouTubers did videos on it. Um, people that are uh, attached to Blumhouse and Universal and um, and some of these things were like, no, like <laughs> Blumhouse has not picked it up. That's not a thing. So, so that happened, but that kind of got me thinking, and it's a question that for the big three, for Halloween and Friday the 13th and Elm Street, there's kind of a big question as to what should come next. Like what should the next chapter 
in those franchises be? So I thought we would have a little bit of a, a dialogue about what the next chapter for Elm Street should be because we've already remade it. Really, all th- you could argue that for all three of these. All three, like the big three have already been remade. That's already happened once. So do you remake it again? Do you go the TV series route? Do you do a sequel to the remake? That's probably not going to happen because their remakes are all over a decade old now. Um, so there, there's kind of a big question as to what happens now. What do you mm-hmm. do with it? How do you keep it interesting? Um, Hatchet said he hopes Blumhouse doesn't get it. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. And here's here's why. That that is not at all a knock You want A twenty four to get it. <laughs> I I mean I'm I wouldn't complain. No, they got too I many projects to deal with. They're, bro, A twenty four is doing just fine with like their other project that they have. I don't know if you've heard, like, I mean, I think I think out of the two films that have been out so far, like the one I'm really excited to see is that recent installment of uh, the mentor or that vampire movie the Demeter, yeah. and a24 is uh talk to me because i get that on the I've i hear that on the about tiktok sphere the twitter sphere so much so really? and the premise is i mean the premise seems i don't know pretty straightforward and simple but people are like craving about it and craving i think i don't know <laughs> yeah craving but um I don't know. I th- I mean, it's something I definitely be willing to want to check out, mainly because of the fact that A twenty four has been making some slam old uh, titles in right. recent years. So for me to think that A twenty four would be even want uh, a project like that, I mean, I mean, they're doing they're doing just fine right now with the project that they're throwing out right now. So why, yeah. why, why, why fuck up the momentum? Trying to, no offense, like to the horror fans but pander to uh um nightmare on elm street fans wishing that it's going to be a good right. good film good uh good franchise or trilogy or new trilogy whatever the fuck they're going to try to do you know what i mean well he- here's the thing part of me I-, I have a few thoughts here part of me feels that a24 should stick to their original stuff because mm-hmm. they do it so well but at the same time another part of me is like but their original stuff is so good and so different and it's got its own like feel and vibe to it i feel like if anybody's gonna pull off a really freaky weird psychological guttural elm street remake i feel like they would do really really well with it um and you know is it a24 that's doing the the crystal lake series i want to say it is let me see. A24. Um, I'm like 90. Yes. Uh, so A24 is already picking up Friday the 13th because they're in charge of the Crystal Lake series. So we, And well, that's another thing is we fuck know my, that. Fuck my opinion then. No, at this point. <laughs> yeah. no one fucking cares about my point. I, they pretty much said, hey, what you just said, Miguel, bullshit. Yeah. As you were saying that, they were like, write that down. Write down everything he just said. Now put huge red X marks through it. The entire No, thing. I'm pretty sure a lot of people on I'm pretty sure a lot of people on the fucking YouTube sphere and the internet's going to be like, "Miguel, that's already happening." So eat dick. So yeah. Well, here's here's the thing. My thought with the Blumhouse thing. I enjoyed what they did with uh with 18 kills and ends. I did. I've got my 18 kills and ends posters all behind me. Um 
I, I dug it. Were they perfect? No. It's pretty much what started uh, a lot of uh, I, horror movie uh, podcasts. Right. I, I, 100%, dude. I mean, I found this community during the Halloween 18 hype. Like, that's how I found the Wham guys and Dave and all mm-hmm. of that stuff. I mean, that was kind of the birth of this channel, even though this channel didn't come out for, you know, two or three more years after that. But, uh, yeah. Anyways, I, I, I liked what Blumhouse did, but I kind of worry that they're doing the same formula because. When it was when it was Halloween and they announced oh, they don't were doing get me a trilogy, started on, uh, they announced they were doing a trilogy. It was like, formulas. oh, Fuck sweet me, that that'll be kind of cool. And they were like, hey, we got The Exorcist and we're doing a trilogy. And it was like, uh, oh, The Exorcist mm. kills and The Exorcist ends. Like 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 I, I, why are they doing a trilogy for all of them? Like Halloween, okay, I I get it, but an Exorcist trilogy. I don't know if that's going to work. I hope it does. I have high expectations, and I'm yes, optimistic. Yes, because there, 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 there is the confirmed believer. sequels, correct? Right. They're confirmed as of now, but... Depending on I how think, this one goes. I think this first one is already a split theatrical direct-to-streaming release anyways. And as it stands, I think the other two are set to go directly to streaming. I don't even know if the other two are getting a theatrical release yet, for sure. Holy so, like, shit. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. like the reason that I don't want it to go to Blumhouse be- is because I don't want it to follow the same uh, legacy trilogy formula. I don't think that's going to work for everything. Just because it worked for Halloween doesn't mean it's going to work for The Exorcist and doesn't mean it would work for Friday the 13th or It or Elm Street or any of the other major you know, Texas Chainsaw. I, it, could you could you imagine a Texas Chainsaw Massacre trilogy? Okay, hot take. No thanks. But no. And much love to all of these uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre fans. But my man, when you've had an opportunity to do a remake and it bombs so bad, I think it's safe to say that, like, bro, I'm not going to lie. Texas that Chainsaw Massacre has got to be the weakest franchise out there. The amount of hit and misses out there is probably the weakest horror franchise. Of the big, I uh, let's say the big five: Halloween, Elm Street, Friday the Thirteenth, Scream, and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think it's probably the weakest. And it's it sucks because the first one is so good, and the remake is so good. Well, maybe it's one of those like one and done. Bad. (laughs) Yeah, maybe it's one of those like one and done's kind of thing where like you honestly, the only thing you can do is remake the original at best. And and because if I'm being honest, what do you think? Um, And I love the remake. I just did a whole 15 minute video on the the TCM 2003 Mm -hmm. remake. It's it's great. It's my favorite of the big horror remakes. Um, mm-hmm. And honestly, I think there are some things that that movie does better than the 1974 original, which I know is a bring out the John Wick guns thing. But it, I, no, I, I, I mean, do. think about it like this. I love Here, it. Let me tell you something, man. Here, oh. Let me get let me draw some car knowledge. on you OK, <laughs> if you buy a first gen car, you're almost guaranteed to have like problems because it's the first generation like vehicle or model until okay. but but like future models let down the road when they start fixing these problems or making some things worse like obviously the first gen could be like the best one out there but obviously it's going to have some problems yeah and there'll be future uh you know models or quote unquote 
uh, titles that just do 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 the do the film better. So I mean, that's just how that works. Okay. Well, but, and it. I I know we're we're talking Elm Street here, but like the the thing that I love about the 2003 remake is, like, I I find it scarier, because in the original film, yes, it's it's you feel isolated and it's grimy, and the characters are scary, but the remake, there's something about the way it's shot. And the way they handled the family dynamic in the the 2003 remake that it just, it like, you feel like there's nowhere to go. Like, even if, I I said this in in my little deep dive video that I released a few weeks ago, but, like, even if Aaron and her crew would have escaped, if they would have made it six house, like, you know, however far down the road, Who's to say that those people aren't in on it too? Because practically everybody they run into in that entire movie is in on it. Like, you know what I mean? So it's just like the, there was nowhere to go. You you felt so isolated. Um, and, and even going back to Elm Street, talking like the Elm Street remake, I enjoyed the Elm Street remake for what it is. I purposely haven't watched it in a little while because we're going to get to it hopefully sometime soon. Um, we're going to hit up kind of all of the horror remakes in a row on purely and simply evil but Mm -hmm. uh it it just i i don't think that it was a bad remake so again it begs the question what do you do you've you've had a successful run of the original sequels you've had a successful remake you've done the new nightmare thing that's kind of its own like it's like the it's like its own timeline type thing um and there, I mean, even like what Cecil Laird is doing. Cecil is doing the this the the of, uh, albeit unofficial, but I mean, it's it's going to be spectacular. Um, they're doing Dylan's new nightmare, so like y- you have you have kind of that direction too. But for me, I think you can do one of two things. If you're going to do a film. Um, if you're going to remake it, I don't think just remaking the original film would be quite as effective as doing a prequel. Now, again, I've said this before about Halloween. I don't, I'm not super, super picky about who they get to direct and who, what, you know, what studio does it, if it's A24 or if it's Blumhouse or if it's whoever, I don't, that doesn't really bother me all that much. Um, as long as they treat the story right and as long as they treat the characters right and they uh, and they treat it with, with love and care and respect and they give it a little tap on the tush. But I, I just hope that whoever gets it tries something different while still paying homage and respect to the source material. Uh, and whatever company would get it, I would be completely down if they did kind of kind of oddly enough taking the rob zombie approach where it's like a prequel and a remake um mm-hmm. even though halloween is different it didn't necessarily work again what works for one may not work for another i think mm-hmm. doing a a pre-make like a prequel and a remake together showing uh you know the the trial showing you know, kind of, even if you form, if you did, okay, if you did it as a TV series, you could have most of the series as kind of like a murder mystery, 
uh, psychological horror type thing. Kids are disappearing. They're finding dead bodies. The parents are freaking out. The police are looking for somebody. And then they ended up catching Freddy. And, you know, then you go through, they sign the whole papers wrong and whatever else, blah, 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 blah. You could even take elements from what John Saxton wanted to do because John Saxton wrote a whole, uh, he wrote a whole thing about. You know, for someone that didn't really, I didn't feel like would have cared. But yeah, I know he straight. did. John Saxon, he he did. Yeah, he had yeah. a lot of respect for the source very... material, which is pretty cool. He did. Um, and his dude, it was crazy. And his his uh, really like Freddie was actually innocent, and it was like mm-hmm. Charles Manson that did it, mm-hmm. and like his weird cult type thing, and Freddie just got yeah. like blamed for it. Um, which I think that's a cool. Not the Charles Manson bit. That's a little out there, but. I think the idea of having Freddie really being innocent and they killed an innocent man, but that's what made him want revenge. I think that's actually kind of a cool thing. And they almost did it in the remake and then they ruined it in the last like 10 minutes when you realize it's like, like the entire time, like you think, man, Freddie was an innocent guy that they killed. Like you, you like, you almost kind of feel bad for him. And then you realize he actually did it and he's like, oh, never mind. He's a, like a scuzz sucking slime ball. Never mind. He's just a piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 I get but, it. Uh, I think that's, I think what I think, John Saxon had in mind was actually pretty unique. And I kind of like that idea of, of playing with the idea that maybe Freddy was innocent. Right. Well, and, and it would have, if you did that, whether it's a TV series, whether it's a prequel, um, it would have to be a slow burn, right? It would have to be something that you kind of slowly build and you feel tension building as, you know, the parents start to run out of ideas. I mean, and when the police system has failed them. And when the court has failed them, they take matters into their own hands, and that's when they go track him down and burn him. And maybe the the last 15 minutes of the film is when Freddy dies and is reborn, and then you jump. And you can even have the cast ready for the second film. And the second film can be the traditional remake with Nancy and, and Ron and all of the other characters from the, the 1984 film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, maybe the end of this prequel film, or at the end of season one of this prequel series, that's when Freddy becomes actual burned demon Freddy, and he starts haunting their dreams. That I mean, could you imagine that buildup of the trial, seeing him, you know, commit these crimes and everything, and seeing the parents kind of slowly freak out and descend into madness and then suddenly at the end after they kill him that's when you get burn freddy he you know he's dragging the glove across the wall with the sparks and stuff like that i mean that could be a really really cool way to end a film and build hype into another one another one you know what i mean another I, I don't one. another one i i don't think i don't think just doing a traditional remake of the original film again right off like right out of the gate is a mm-hmm. super great idea person poisonally i don't think it's a great idea um no i get but ya. that that's kind of that's my take like i and i know other people might have a different idea there are some people that are in the camp that hey the sequels were successful like just do another sequel to do a sequel to freddy's dead like something like that um i think personally i think it's been a little too long i think it's been way too you it's think been people a while. probably wouldn't have cared I think the I, only thing it would fall, only thing I'd have is a cult following, right? And I think, I mean, we we talked, we've talked about this on on the on the purely and simply evil shows, like going back through them. I mean, 
they they revamped the rules like every single time there were new rules and new you know it, it, it I don't think that would work as well as they would want it to so that's kind of that's that's my take do you have any thoughts on um on where Elm Street should go from here I mean I'll probably be in the camp where I think he's he's charismatic enough to end up as a TV uh, as a TV show if I'm not being if I'm being completely honest I feel like he's charismatic enough to like want to be in uh, multiple uh, seasons and I as the same as what's going on with Chucky which I mean personally I haven't heard much much news of how Chucky's been doing other than what I've heard like a while back I didn't but, watch uh, it but I heard that it was things. like I heard it was like really getting a lot of good traction so for someone as charismatic as Chucky too, because if you think about it, one of the main things that made Chucky so famous was the fact that he was like a bad mouth serial killer that just, you yeah. know, people kind of like awkwardly kind of root for it because he's just like that charismatic on the screen. So I could see the same thing for Freddie because like over the years, you know, like it's kind of hard to like bring back the scary aspects of, uh, of, uh, of Freddy as opposed yeah. to what they did with, with Michael Myers because Freddy's already got that TV personality of like MTV Freddy and like right. of him wanting to break the fourth wall and stuff like that. Like that stuff is already like something that's like well known within the community, whether you know it or not. And um, I think that if they ever were to like revamp the thing, I could totally see the actions of it being a TV show. And I at least would want that to happen because I thoroughly wouldn't would take the time to watch a show like that if that makes sense yeah well and, and here's the other thing also because i'm not really all that interested in like watching a movie and then waiting for the trilogy thing to happen i'd much rather <laughs> like i'd much rather i'm yeah. more in regards to like content i'm much more happy with coming back a week later after the next episode yeah. popped up and be like "Ooh, what happened this time <laughs> yeah you know what um, i mean like what did freddie do this weekend guys yeah well and let me back up to what I was saying earlier too. You mentioned like the TV personality side of him. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think if you do a, well, either way, if you do a series or if you do a, a, a prequel kind of film, see, that's I the thing. Don't I feel like think, you would, you would cut down on the charisma of Freddie. Well, you'd you want to go back. You would want to go back to like the more sinister, uh, uh, more sinister, playful, playing with your food kind of attitude yeah. that uh that Freddy was known for in like Freddy 1 and 2. So here here's minus the, thing. the uh the 70s erotica 80s weird tropes that I got in <laughs> Freddy's yeah. back. If you're going to do it, if you're going to do Freddy again and I think if you're going to start all over with a new actor and if you whether you do the prequel thing, whether you do a remake, whether you do a TV series that's kind of a little bit of both, like whatever the case is, I don't think you need to go the Freddy's Nightmares route where he's jumping up and down and playing air guitar and like being silly like he's a PBS cartoon at 8, at 8 a.m. Like, I don't think you need that. I think you need to play it almost too dark, like like he can make jokes and he can be funny but as an audience member i think 
you almost need like you know you know when somebody makes a joke like a comedian makes a joke that's so dark that you almost laugh but you're not you're not even laughing at the joke itself you're just laughing because it's like oh my god they uncomfortable went there. yeah like yeah like i think you have to make him so like the jokes he does make and the quirky things he says have to be so dark and so sinister and so like pushing the boundary of what's even okay to say mm-hmm. that i think it's all it would almost be like he did he just did he just say that like that's Oh my god! Like that's too much. You know what I mean? I, I think I think that's how dark you have to go with Freddy. And even if you're gonna do the prequel thing and you show him as like a regular human being, and then as the demon Freddy, I think you almost do it as like a not that you have to dive deep enough that he actually has a split personality, but the human side of him can be super you know, fake, and he acts like he's this little guy who could never do anything like that, but then you get full on the other side of him. Like, if you got somebody with a really, really killer acting range that could turn that on and off, where, Uh you know, you see him faking it out in the courtroom or to whoever, you know, he acts like this innocent dude who could never hurt a fly, but then when you see him actually about to hurt somebody, even in his human form, like if you saw him trying to, you know, kill one of the kids or something... Uh, if you saw him in his human form and he turned on that sick, sinister, like he's being funny but only to himself kind of thing, mm-hmm. it could be like, oh, you know what I mean? I, and I think that's how serious and dark you have got to play Freddy. So I get that. So, so that's, here, would, that's you, my would you much favorite. rather? Let me ask you this Do you think you would enjoy like a film or like a, a TV show? That had uh, where the main character is uh, is Freddy, but uh, it'd be kind of like a fourth wall break kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like where he's like kind of like narrating himself, like you're like you're watching the story unfold with him as uh, well. I I w- maybe it would depend on how it was how well it was done. I would almost prefer Freddy in if you're gonna do a prequel kind of thing to almost be a side character. Um, not not a side character. I mean, he can still he's like, still the main villain, obviously. But like the main you the main character, from, is someone else. You don't even see it from the kids' perspective because I mean, think about it. They were little kids at that point. It's not like you're getting like the teenager high school perspective of it until mm-hmm. he's already like a, a dream demon. You know what I mean? If you mm-hmm. like dream formulating demon. that story from the parents' perspective. Mm-hmm. And seeing them slowly lose their mind as kids are disappearing and they're doing everything they can to protect their kid and it's still not enough, that could be really effective. Like from a storytelling perspective, that could be great. And then when you do see Freddy in the moments where Freddy is, you know, either, you know, I like he, I don't even know how you would portray it. Like I didn't do anything. You're about I, to act it out. I, I was, but then I knew that would probably not prove my point in the way I wanted it to. Um, Like seeing Freddy being that innocent, like fake, you know, he, again, like he couldn't hurt a fly. He's this little scrawny dude who, you know, like victim, victim of the the, the justice system, playing the victim thing. And then seeing him turn it on, like that could be really effective. And then in the next film or the season two or whatever, 
then you can turn it on a little bit and you can show a little bit more of Reddy. You can dive into his psyche a little bit more, like things like that. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, I would formulate it if it were me from the parent's perspective, at least at the beginning, because I think that could be really, really scary. Even psychologically, like, yes, it's still a slasher. Yes, you can still have slasher-esque scenes and moments throughout. But like, I think from, again, from a story perspective, seeing that go down from a parent's perspective could be really, really, really scary. And I think you could do a lot with that. So, I mean, would I, could I see it from Freddie's perspective? Sure. But uh, it would, it would just depend. It would really depend. I gotcha. Well, so each one uh, of their experiences, I think a TV show would personally be a lot more um, influential on something that would grab a lot more people, I would say, because, you know, easy for a movie to just grab butts on seats just from the title alone but to have a tv show and see it steadily grow more and more with how good either the writing is or how the performance are or just like the name itself bringing people in like i agree like the i would agree with like that picking up a lot more steam yeah and i don't even know what what studio what streaming service would uh would would even have that one like I would almost like I can I could see Paramount having it, honestly, or um, HBO, HBO, maybe, honestly, or for that matter. I mean, who knows? Maybe AMC could have it. I think I don't think AMC, I don't think AMC would to. have the balls to go dark enough. I think they could, honestly, man. With the I stuff think that HBO, they've been doing with like Dead I think City. HBO would have the balls to go dark enough. You think so? Yeah. Well, yeah, if you think about it, that makes sense. Oh, so. then fuck it, Showtime. Then Showtime would have the balls to do it too. <laughs> yeah, like um, that point. Yeah, but listen, everybody, let us know in the comments below. Where do you think the Elm Street franchise should go next? What should uh, the next adventure be for the one and only Fredward Krueger? Let mm-hmm. us know. Let us know what you think. Uh, real quick, let me go over the well, chat before we uh, before we get rolling with the Oppenheimer chat. Uh, Hatchet Boy said it should go back to New Line Cinema. I agree. I think that'd be cool. If it's going to go to somebody, man. Although, mm, it, again, it, it depends. I, I, don't, I don't really have a strong opinion on who gets it as long as they play their cards right and tell a good story. Now, does New Line Cinema deserve it? Absolutely. New Line Cinema, Freddie built New Line Cinema, so I think it'd be kind of poetic, but... You know, it, it again. They would have to do. Pretty built New Line Cinema. They really did, though. They I did. mean, from what you they told me in the commentary, Line, they yeah. call New Line Cinema the house that Freddie built. Like, yeah. that's literally its nickname because it was nothing before Nightmare on Elm Street, and then it became, you know, New Line Cinema. So, uh, he she we big boobs is in the chat. What's going on, buddy? Uh, Florence was one of them crazy ladies in Oppenheimer. She was. She, she definitely was. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> yeah, I guess. we'll we'll, uh, we'll get there. Um, Hatchet Boys said, if they start it with whole new characters, not a remake again or a new reboot. Um, yeah, I could see uh, for the like pro- no no legacy Lan- Nancy or Lancy. yeah 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 Lancy Lancy no, no legacy Gary characters Busey. coming back like just- oh my god Gary Busey is Freddy Krueger. Whoo, that could be terrifying. She <laughs> no, I couldn't see that. That'd be scary. I don't know about that. Yeah. He'd be high on coke like the whole time. 
Is Gary Busey like okay? Like I haven't heard anything about him like in forever. The last time I saw him was in a movie called The Entourage. If you guys know what I'm, you guys know what I'm talking about. That was he's on. Almost, he's almost eighty. Yeah. Gary Busey is what I imagine Val Kil- Kilmer if he went buck wild. Did you agree? Yeah. Here's a. Uh, so I typed in Gary Busey. The very Gary first Busey. news story I see. Gary Busey. The first news story I see. The first oh, two boy. things I see is when Gary Busey stopped production for spiritual reasons from a month ago. And then from August 24th of last year, actor Gary Busey literally caught with his pants down after sex on a park, be- on a park bench. Those are the two. Fir- that's the first two things I see when I when I type in Gary Busey. The old goose. Gary Busey just being like that, though. Listen, man, Coke. Is that what he was on? Is that what he's on? I think so, from what I understand. Jesus Christ. The thing he he used to be a good actor though. Like that's the thing. Like it wasn't like he was a terrible actor. Like he he had a lot of good roles, man. He had a lot of really good roles. I don't know. I don't know. Let me let me go through his like movies. I mean I I remember from Point Break. Yeah, and... he was in Rookie of the Year. He was in Predator 2. I liked him in Rookie yeah. of the Year. That's a good movie. I haven't seen that in a long time. Um, I forgot. He is in Lethal Weapon, too. Yep. He, he is. He weapon. is in that Lethal Weapon. Yeah. He, uh, he was in um, the original A Star is Born from 76 as well. Uh, Barbarossa, um, wow. Entourage. I mean, he's... Yeah, that's one I've seen him from. He's been around the block. It's not like he's had a terrible career. You know? I don't know. I don't know, man. I think Gotta I've seen him from the... another movie, but I just can't remember what it is. <gasps> is it? No, it's not. No, it's not. Anything. Where he was young. Like a young Gary Busey. I remember young Gary Busey in some film. And I think I think it was Lethal Weapon. Gary at least. <laughs> you guys don't know. He said something that day. I forgot what it was about. But uh yeah, that was funny. I don't remember. I don't remember. It was Early in our show, our our, our channel's early. history, I think we were we, still doing like we were talking stuff. about something, uh, and I mentioned Gary Busey, and we laughed for like twenty minutes, like just. The thing is because we saw like, we saw like what Gary Busey looked like now. It was like a weird picture. Yeah, of Gary Busey. I, I think I I think I put it as like a standalone video on the channel. Like I clipped it and put it on the channel. You'll have to go check it oh, out. I don't even. I'll have to go find it. I don't even remember what it was. But we were cracking up. Mm-hmm. Um, Hatchet also said, "I like your idea, Brad. I think they should go with that." Thanks, man. You should wait till you hear the, the idea I have for Halloween. I hope to make some people mad with it. No, I'm kidding. I, 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 I think I have a legitimately good idea. I have a good claim to the Iron Throne. No, I'm kidding. So, <laughs> I, I think I have a legitimately good idea as to what to do with Halloween. Um, speaking of. I've seen rumors that we're going to get announcements about the Halloween franchise at Halloween 45 this year too early. Now, if it's Season of the Witch, that's a different thing. Take Go at, go at it. Hey, do it. Go wild with Season of the Witch. That's fine. I think Season of the Witch should have. It was, but if, it was, I think it's overdue, if that, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. too overdue for it to want, for me to want it to be a project now. Yeah. Well, you and know what I mean? I mean, though, here's the thing. Like, I don't want any more, like, Michael stuff. Like, Michael needs 
a, a, a cigarette break. Like, we have milked him raw for the last five years. I mean, that's it's, a phrase. Yeah, uh, like it's it's just it's it's time for him to like sit he down for a few minutes. Raw. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean. I think it's time for Michael to don't to I chillax. Don't I've never, <laughs> I've never uh, milked someone that the, raw. Are they milking Ghostface raw? Like, are we? Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I just no, I think Ghostface, it's time for him Ghostface, to we, I think Ghostface knew that. I think this audience knew that Ghostface was going to get milk, if that makes sense. When you start making fun of your own film and yeah, start making it right. hella meta, you know exactly what you're doing. Well, the thing sense. is, take Season of the Witch, go wild with it, do its own thing. Season of the Witch is, I think, a good placeholder and a good... Um, it, it'll it'll keep everybody's appetite nice and wet with the Halloween thing, but it's also... Not, <laughs> but it's also not going to, like... It, like it, it keeps interest in the franchise without uh, milking Michael to death, you know, without milking Michael Ross. So, so yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I hope we don't get any Michael Myers announcements at Halloween 45, unless it's like a video game or something. Let like that. the like, man, cool. you should let him sleep. Yeah. He needs to sleep. He needs to chill out. Um, all right. So Oppenheimer. This was my most anticipated movie of 2023. No, it wasn't. Shut the fuck up. It was. Was it? Yeah, it really was. 100%. Because... Is it because that cast? Maybe? Yes, that's one of the reasons. Okay. Um, but also, a lot of people give him crap for what he does. I'm a big Chris Nolan fan. I think what Christopher... I thought you were talking about Oppenheimer. Does... I was like, that man was no. not that great. No, no. I, I think... I don't know um... how you spent him in this movie. <laughs> I think Christopher Nolan does what he does. He does very well. And yeah, it's a little bit weird. And there are times where, and and I'm talking his other work, interstellar inception, uh, you know, uh, what I'm, what's the other one I'm thinking of? Why am I blanking right now? Uh, what am I? Uh, tenant, tenant, memento. Like you think of all, like they're they're kind of weird. They don't necessarily like make a hundred percent perfect sense. Um, and, and I believe he said something about like somebody was like, you know, your movies are hard to understand or something. And he was like, you just have to feel it. You can't think about it. You just have to feel it. And this like, is not this is not a uh, watching movie. It's a theme I, movie. I, I know a lot of people when he says something like that, they're probably going, oh my god, okay. Like, all right, we got to feel it, whatever. But I dig it. There's something about it that I've always really liked. I feel like it's he kind of plays into it. It's very, yeah, it's very visual. It's very epic. It's very uh, kind of, I say futuristic, but that's not necessarily even what I mean. But in mean. a good way. It, no, I'm kidding. You know what I mean? It's got, it, like, even if it's. No, it's it's cinematic. Is it what it is? Yeah, it's, it's like, a very Christopher epic Nolan plays on the feel. idea that films are are filmed in such a cinematic way. Like yeah. Christopher Nolan is one of those people that relishes in the shot. If that makes sense. 
Yeah, and, and I appreciate what he does. Um, even what he did with the Dark Knight trilogy. I mean, the Dark Knight's one of my favorite movies of all time. I, I, mm-hmm. I like Christopher Nolan a lot. So when I saw the preview for this, I don't even remember what we went and saw, but it was like the early teaser trailers when like you just see like the fire and it's like the world changes or something like that and it says Oppenheimer with a date. And I looked at me going, mm-hmm. what the hell is that? I want to see what that is. Like, what? It, it's a Chris Nolan movie. I didn't even know it was making a new movie. Um, and I started looking up who Oppenheimer was, and I kind of dove into the story a little bit, and I was like... Did you not know who he was? I had no idea who he was. I'm gonna be Are you fucking serious? No idea. I had to look it up. Really? Had no idea. My God, I knew you were bad at math. I didn't know how bad you were at history. Fuck. Whatever. I enjoy history. But anyways, we're moving on from my mental skills. Um... <laughs> But I, I was very interested to see, because I like what he does with his other films and how um, kind of fantasy-inspired they are, uh, I, I was curious to see what he would do with a biopic, with something that was a true story, and kind of how he would adapt that story and how he would you know, portray that and tell that. And um, I was not disappointed. Uh, I, I was very curious, uh, even, uh, again, like what you mentioned before, the cast. The cast had me intrigued. I mean, this is an absolutely stacked cast that they had in this film. Uh, oh. Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., Killian Murphy, Emily Blunt, Florence Pugh, all of them were really, really, really good. Josh Hartnett, dude. Where did he come from? Josh Peck? Like, these people that I was like... Where have you been all this time? You know what I mean? I mean, has Josh Hartnett even really, like, let's see. The last movie Josh he was in Hartnett. was, uh, I gotta think it was, no, Lucky Number uh, 7, maybe? Operation Fortune. That's from 2023. I know he was in 30 Days a Night. Bro, do you want to know? He was in Wrath of Man. I mean, he was like, pretty good. He was pretty good at Thirty Days a Night. I'll give him that. He was. I, I liked him in Thirty yeah. Days a Night. He's, honestly, he, he grew. He grew up a lot since uh, Halloween H two O. Yes, say. he did. He did. But I mean, I thought he he was really good in this film. Like there were a lot mm-hmm. of good. Um, there were a lot of good. I love how you forget one actor in particular because I remember I told you who he was and your jaw like dropped. I was when I'm referring to David. Oh David yeah. Kmaltz. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, was Gary Oldman. You looked at me, yeah. you're like, Bernard? I, Sierra said the same thing. She was like, oh, you're kidding. I was it's like, like when, yeah. t- when Tim Allen says that in the Santa Claus 3, or the Santa Claus Part 2, Bernard? Bernard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, dude looks completely different. Oh, completely. Oh, like, buddy was eating all of Santa Claus's uh, hot chocolate and cookies. But until, until you mentioned it, I was like, I it went completely over my head. Um, so, but there were a lot of things that I was intrigued to see with this movie and it didn't disappoint. Um, again, my biggest compliment to this film was the cast itself, because not only were the casting choices really, really great, but the performances, I 150% expect to see some Academy Award nominations for Oppenheimer, hundred percent. Now, if the SAG strike is still going on, I guess there won't be any nominations. No. But yeah, uh, <laughs> but uh, I do think that this film will be on the table for quite a few different awards. And um, yeah, and unfortunately, cast, it's the, not going to be the summer fantastic. blockbuster that we thought. It's going to be a good movie, 
but it's not going to be the summer like blockbusting hit that we thought it was going to well, be. It's, well, it's it's the lie. highest world uh the highest grossing World War II film ever. I saw that it surpassed that. that the other day. It surpassed Saving Private Ryan as the highest World War II film. Really? Yeah. And even that had like a really stacked cast. Yeah, that was another one. It had a really, really big cast. Wow. Um, That's surprising. Another thing that I dug about it was the uh the the flip flop. And honestly, I, I, I mentioned this before. I would like to see it again. Just because there was a lot of information, even like Julia had said at one point during the movie, she was like, I, I forget who some of the characters are until they're like on screen doing something. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. There were so many characters and there was so much information being thrown at the audience that it's almost hard to even pick up on it. And I've seen a few people that are like, if you go back and watch it a second time, some things make so much more sense and you pick up on so much more that they're saying. Uh, it, it, it really makes you feel... It, even the, the switch between... Well... At least in my head, I felt claustrophobic in regards to the storyline because it was like flipping back and forth and like you'll see you'll see uh Oppenheimer's reaction to things and with the whole like interrogation whenever he's trying to like or quote unquote his his badge renewal renewal mm-hmm. and like how they're throwing like bombshells on him that he's like not prepared for and stuff like that. And it's like it'll flip back and forth to things like that. And I just felt claustrophobic because that's pretty much what they wanted us to feel in that room. Right. Was because of like the whole point was to ambush Oppenheimer and his badge renewal and like just give them all these like things that yeah. we have on them just to keep get them out of the hydrogen uh bomb uh uh project and um i think that that was one part of the show that i actually kind of enjoyed was the fact that like you got to see like the angst and anguish that oppenheimer right. had to deal with and how claustrophobic he must have felt having all this surrounding him during during uh the creation of the bomb and afterwards and yeah. trying to reconcile with the idea of what happened well it's not i mean obviously it's it's formulated from oppenheimer's perspective even the switching of the the black and white to the color was supposed to be um you know the things that are from his point of view to the subjective stuff and things like that um, but even, the story is told from uh... right. The story is technically told from Strauss's perspective, from Robert Downey Jr.'s character's perspective, and mm-hmm. kind of what happens with him. But with that being said, you feel, and this is where Killian Murphy did such a good job portraying mm-hmm. Robert Oppenheimer. This is where the writing was so well done. Um, but you feel the weight of the events. Um, the rush to make the bomb, the uh, the completion of the bomb, and the success of the Trinity test, and then the the really dark, um, regretful nature of what happened after the Hiroshima and Nagasaki uh, bombings, and you feel it. It's like you again. I'm going back to the Christopher Nolan thing. You feel it from Oppenheimer's perspective, even though it's told from. Uh, from RDJ's uh, Strauss's perspective, 
You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It, it's it's interesting. It, it was an, a very interesting. Honestly, it took me a little bit of time to understand kind of like the layout of what was happening, switching from the past to the future to the present, then back to the future, then back to the past. It was just it was a lot going on, um, and I thought that was really creative. Uh, he also Chris Nolan said he wrote the script from Oppenheimer's perspective, which is interesting because you know. Uh, Killian Murphy in an interview he was like the first time I read the script I didn't understand it like I didn't get what I was reading until he went back and he was like this is genius like this is really really cool this is really really well done you know like Nolan thought that or no the first time Killian Murphy read the script when Nolan gave it to him he said he didn't even like fully understand it because it was written like Christopher Nolan had said he never did that before he never wrote a script from a character's perspective but he wrote this from Oppenheimer's perspective. Mm-hmm. And of course those, I almost kind of thought of Strauss as the narrator, even though he didn't, it wasn't like a, he wasn't a typical narrator, but uh, it was still kind of that same idea. You know what I mean? He didn't necessarily narrate it, but we, we the story was told from his perspective. Uh, which, which was kind of cool. Um, at some point, y- because you're you're watching this and you're you're processing what's happening, it wasn't until obviously on an intellectual like surface level, I I obviously understood this was a true story. But when you're watching it play out, Man, a- it doesn't it doesn't really hit you that it's a true story until the Trinity test happened and they start talking about using it on people. And that's when you kind of start to feel the weight of, Oh my God, this is, this is really bad. Like this is not a good thing that we've created. You know what I mean? Like it's, and you start to feel that with Oppenheimer you start to feel when he kind of has that shift of like, because the first third of the film, you know, first two thirds, whatever of the film, they're in such a mad dash. Yeah. It felt like a race of, uh, it felt like a race of knowledge and, and intelligence between two countries of saying like, well, if one, if this country is not going to do it, another country is going to do it. You know what I mean? Like, if they're not going to yeah. do it, we're going to do it. If we're not going to do it, they're going to do it. Well, one kind of, of my thing. F- and that's kind of where the race happened. But then when it came down to, like, after Hitler died and then Japan was still, like, well within the war, that's when it really started hitting you. Like, this is real life. Like, this was yeah a decision that a small group of people decided collectively that this was the right course of actions to take that led to thousands of people dying the thing that really gets me and the one of the lines that stuck with me is when um you know he i forget who it is that he's talking to when he agrees to be to become the head of the trinity project or or the manhattan project Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's developing the bomb and things like that in the early stages when they first are building the the the, the town out in the middle of the desert. Um, 
when he says to that guy, I don't know if we can be trusted with a bomb of that much power, but I know that the Nazis can't. Like, I know that Nazi mm-hmm. Germany can't. And that kind of hit me like, that's true. Like, can we trust ourselves with something like that? I don't know, you know? But it also raises well, the okay, question. We don't, we don't even you... have to talk about, like, the 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 philosophy or the uh, theology of why we made the atomic bomb and why we used it. Like that's, that's something that's like people Can now still have that, a, well, I think that's at the end of the day, I think that's the, even when, I know we haven't gotten to the ending yet, but I think that's the, the, the message, the crux of the whole thing. That's the, the, the profound meaning of his vision at the end of the film i think that i mean i think if you don't talk about that that's like no what i mean is what it means why we had to do it then is the question oh why I we had to do okay. it then was like that was kind of like already given like if we weren't going to do it right the other guy was going to do it and then the world right. would have been completely different the question remained was that, where the question started like happening where like how can I say this? Where hesitations are happening was after the events of right. Hitler's death, where it was there's no point. Like the Hitler Hitler's gone. Like the the big bad is gone. And do we really need to use this weapon to to end the right. war? Like do we or do we sacrifice this this amount of soldiers or do we consider this as mercy? Like that's mm-hmm. where the conversation happened. But at the beginning of the movie, it was well established that like if we weren't going to make it, Germany's going to make it and Germany's going right. to fuck us all to hell. Well, and that's the thing. And I think that's where, I think that's where the emotional turmoil with his character, you know, he, it's an interesting, he, he was an interesting dude. I mean, you know, the, the first little bits we get of him when he's very much, college. if you want a fact versus fiction kind of thing, here's a fact versus fiction. Oppenheimer trying to poison his professor fact Niels Bohr wasn't there but oh boy did try to poison his fucking professor. really I I thought his family said that that wasn't true I could be wrong that's a, that, that that a they fact were, from what I, I thought they were mad that he included that in the movie oh, well see. I'm sure they were mad because this shit was probably true did Oppenheimer um Let's see. Got it. Somewhere right here. While studying Cambridge in the mid-1920s, Oppenheimer was able to meet many important physicists, including uh, Patrick Blackett, whom I liked very much, he later wrote, and American Prometheus. Bird and Sherwin wrote, wrote that Oppenheimer admired Brackett, who would become his tutor, but future Nobel Prize winner was practical hands-on physicists who pushed the students to do lab work that Oppenheimer found difficult. He preferred going to lectures and reading. During his time in England, he was living miserably, and then uh, in the movie, Niels Bohr nearly takes a bite out of the apple, but in the scene that was invented for dramatic effect, it was Ernest Rutherford who introduced Oppenheimer to Bohr. Uh, Cambridge officials learned of the incident, and Oppenheimer's father convinced them not to press charges. Instead, Oppenheimer was put on probation and had to see a psychiatrist. Hmm. Interesting. 
Very interesting. Mm-hmm. So I'm um, so he did, and they they slightly changed it, but even like you get the going back to my point is you get this there are kind of two sides of him and and the reason i think that line was so profound when he says you know i don't know if we can be trusted with it but i know that they can't be trusted with it and there i mean there was no there was no question they had to 100 percent, they had to make it it had to be done but i think even when you get to the final line of the film when einstein says now it's time to live for you to live with the consequences of your achievement. I think somebody would have done it. If it wasn't Oppenheimer, somebody in some country would have created it. And the thing is, you have two sides of this character and of this person. You have the science side of him, where he is extremely eager and he is extremely... Um, interested in the science of nuclear power and how it all works. And he wants that. He wants to figure it out from a science perspective and, Mm -hmm. you know, from an intellectual perspective. But then at the same time, you have the, uh, the, the other side of him where he's like, this is also a lot like this is, it's kind he, you almost get the sense that he was at war with himself. You know, you, after he was so, not blinded but eager from the scientific educational side of things to do it that by the time it was actually done he was like oh like i think that's when it sunk in like oh shoot did okay we we did it you know what i mean i don't think the fear ever really hit him and that fear of if we don't do this, the Nazis will. And then let's be real. If the Nazis would have developed the atomic bomb before anybody else, we could live in a very different world right now. You know? Yeah. So I think that's kind of that was the interesting thing about um, about that moment in the film. And that stuck with me. Uh, that, that, that stuck with me for the last two weeks as I, as I kind of pondered everything. I would say that, I would say that, good old Oppie had like, he had his own like quote unquote Pandora's box, if that makes sense. Yeah. And he knew that as soon as he, as soon as as soon as his team was able to figure out the way to create this bomb, he knew that the box was going to be open and there was going to be a whirlwind of turmoil come in later futures. Like, they knew that come down the line when shit is the fan and the bomb was dropped and the bomb was created like all it was going to do was create an arms race that's exactly what's going to happen because exactly. if it's achievable then everyone's going to try to do it mm-hmm. whether that's russia germany or whatever country yeah like yeah. everyone's going to want to try to recreate what the hell happened you know what i mean like mm-hmm. no one's going to see that bomb and be like oh god the u.s is now the most powerful country in the world now it's like no now it's yeah now we got to figure out how to make something right. as big as that or bigger, which is where uh, the whole hydrogen bomb uh, race happened too. Yeah. So I think that, I think, uh, I think Oppenheimer was well aware of the situation that was going to occur moving forward. If he was going to be, when he was able to have his team create the bomb that would soon be, 
quote unquote deb like that would soon be like the death of us all kind of kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Well, and you even kind of get the sense that he's a complicated person to begin with, right? I mean, even when he's studying, he is super you know, one of the things that the movie did so well was the score. Um Ludwig Granson's score, uh which I I kind of wondered it ended up being great. I've listened to it a few times. The score was wonderful, but I wondered why Hans Zimmer didn't do it, just because Hans Zimmer usually works with Christopher Nolan. Had the same effect, had the same feel. The dude killed it. Uh, but is I, this the first project that he did with Christopher Nolan, or is this? Uh, it might. I think it's the first he did with Christopher Nolan. But I mean, he's he's done quite a few other things as well. You oh. know what I mean? But he yeah, it, it was probably a schedule thing. But he he did a really good job. Can you feel the music is the track that is just it it's great. And it really I, I mentioned that particular track because if you listen to it, it's very chaotic, it's very fast, there's a lot going on from a music perspective. It changes uh meter a lot, it changes like the time signature, it's constantly like changing and altering and it's very it's very busy and that kind of reflects Oppenheimer's mind in those moments. It, it's it, he, the science part of him is just going ballistic in his mind in those earlier scenes when he's meeting with uh, Niels Bohr and Heisenberg <laughs> and, and all of those other people, you know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. Einstein, uh, you just get the sense that he is such a. It almost it, like he. It's like I, I think people like that automatically have anxiety and like issues with that because their their brain can't shut off. Like they can't shut that off. Um, there, there's been a lot of studies, even with musicians like composers. I mean, looking at like Beethoven. Like I guarantee you, if Beethoven was alive today. Like, the guy would be ADHD, anxiety, depression, like, all kinds of stuff. You know what I mean? Just because... Oh, buddy would be hopped up on pills. Yeah, he couldn't shut his brain off. And I feel like watching this, I get the sense that Oppenheimer was the same exact way. And it made him a complicated person um, when he was studying physics and all of that stuff. I mean, like... You know, and and he meets. It's it's kind of one of those poetic things. It's like complicated people meet complicated people. Uh, like the the relationship he has with Florence Pugh and her character. Um, that Did we was, talk about that? That was complicated. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a traditional a, a traditional relationship. I mean, would you even? Yes, it was an affair, but it, it was also different you know what i mean it was different than like a traditional affair it it was almost more of like it was as much of an emotional affair as it was uh as it was a a a sexual physical one bro an affair is fair i know but uh, you know what i'm saying like i i think for some people when they have a relationship like that it's just physical it's just for like a physical release but no, Florence so... Pugh's character needed him like emotionally, and I think that's why when she commits suicide, that's when you feel again you feel the weight of that. He felt the was weight it suicide? Of that. Um, I, I, again, that's a, I mean that's a question. It did kind of allude to the possibility of it not, right? Yeah. 
Well, I think I think what it came down with uh with with good old Oppie was you know, old buddy is like riddled with his own thoughts and the chaos that he has in his mind. So when he was with the uh, Florence Pugh's character, like I mean, for someone that was like the hated roses, hated the idea of labels, which is so chaotic of a person, like personality wise, it made sense for us to think that like maybe that's what uh good old Oppie wanted. Like he wants chaos in that relationship. That way he was able to pull Focus him away more. from that's his, no like, pull, pull him away for... yeah his outlet from the fucking travesty that he has in his own fucking mind you know what i mean yeah that that's fair um even even kitty though his relationship with his wife is very it, it was it was interesting she, she was an interesting person <laughs> she every time you see her she's like she's tipping back bottles and she i she was very uh she she was very interesting, <laughs> even with the kid. Like when he came Bro, home, of, when he came home, and she Oppie's, was like, uh, "Significant others were absolutely buck wild." Yeah. Well, what got me is when, um, when he came home, um, and she, the kid it was bawling his eyes out, and she was like. I've dealt with him. I or what, she says something like, "I've dealt with the little bastard all day. Now it's your turn," or something like that. And she just, yeah, like, yeah. she's just popping wine from the is bottle. That, is it so, true you know that I mean? he like? Is it true that he like? Oh, buddy, like they both gave up, like the kid. To, I believe like, so. Move I, on? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. For two months, according to American, we didn't really see. Too. We didn't see very much of what happened with his kids. I would be interested to see um what understand the psyche of of his fucking kids and like what happened. Yeah, I'd be interested to see what happened to his kids. Mhm. Just cuz I I I, mean, I didn't know, you know. Um but even there again, I think complicated people attract other complicated people and not only was you know, was his mind a very complicated place and he had this science and, you know, nuclear theory and this, you know, trying to study physics and things like that, like just permanently pulsing through his brain at all times. But he had, you know, the affair with Gene Tatlock and he had his strange alcohol induced relationship with his wife. You know, I do think they loved each other. I mean, I think he had a, a decent relationship with his wife, um, but I again, it's complicated. Uh, I mentioned, <laughs> I mentioned this to Miguel when they're interrogating him, and Emily Blunt is watching Florence Pugh just like bounce Bro. up and down on him. I was like, why are we lingering? Why did on you this start bouncing? So long? Because I guess it's just like <laughs> to like really like right. I understand. Focus why. on it's the just... idea that Emily Blunt was like Emily Blunt's character was like betrayed, and like how scarring that can be. For someone, you know what I mean? Like, I, I yeah. get why it was like that, but it was just something there where it's like, it was definitely something that caught me off guard, if that makes sense. Because, and that scene alone, I mean, I like the idea that it put Oppie as, like, butt-ass naked in that room, because it's pretty much what's happening. Like, his life is being stripped apart right. and put under a microscope. Like, the man's freedom and the man's privacy was being stripped away bit by bit. But then to also like add the fact that his like intimacy was put on display there, like to understand like to be 
to be like fully like undressed and naked, that's a level of vulnerability that you have. Right. But then actually give your body to someone mm-hmm. and have that person give your body to you yeah. is a very vulnerable state to to have. So that just want that just had to like put in more perspective where it's like yeah. What they did to him in that badge renewal was almost the same as like bending him over, stripping him naked, and basically ran him up the ass. Kind of. <laughs> it was like there was yeah. Oh, buddy, it, it had a dual meaning apart. to it. Yeah, yeah, hundred so. percent. It had a dual meaning to it. Um, you know, I'll tell you what. I I think there were some questionable characters and like how good of a person they were. Truman, I was very interested. Um, and how they portrayed Truman. They they didn't portray Truman to be a very like nice guy. Yeah, like they said, he, don't bring he, him back. He in my came office. across as kind of a, a douche, you know. Um, yeah, which I found pretty interesting. Uh, I thought Truman would have a little bit more of a role in it. Truman really only no. had that five minute scene. I mean, he was mentioned throughout the movie, obviously, but uh, mm-hmm. but he was only in it for that quick little zip of time. Um, but again, Gary Oldman. Doesn't get any better. Like Gary Oldman's just a, a, a beast when it comes. Yeah, to when he sat like, down, I was like, acting. "Yeah, there he is, <laughs> yeah. Dude, my He's boy." So good, man. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, I the, there's so much. Like I, my brain is just like I feel like I have Oppenheimer's brain right now. Like it's just going well, do in, you like, want a million different. Do you want to? Do you want to like highlight uh, Robert Downey Jr. because he said in in his interview like yeah. this is probably one of his yeah. best uh, roles he's had. He like, said this is the best the movie he's ever been in yeah yeah and he he did his character was interesting i i wouldn't have pegged him as the the villain of the film i to did start off mm-hmm. um i i could see it because i've seen i've seen robert downey jr's uh projects like before iron man and um he's he's he he can play a villain i'd say oh yeah rather I mean, a misunderstood a villain but um I think that in this film, like people have said in recent uh, articles or posts, they've said time and time again that like Robert Downey Jr. just had fun in this movie. Like you could see yeah. that he was enjoying himself in this movie. He was relishing right. in the fact that he was able to play Strauss and just play the anguish and the jealousy. He was really good, man. And the underlining hatred that they had between Oppie and uh, and Strauss. So for me to think that uh, Robert, Jr., Robert Downey Jr. didn't do anything but thrive in this in this role i mean there's much nothing much left to say other than the fact that like of just nitpicking things that you know you didn't like about him in this film but as very slim picking because he did fantastic in this film like you can see just how much of admiration strauss had for oppie which made his portrayal all the more uh uh emotional if that makes sense because it's like for something as simple as, you know, being made fun of publicly, I guess. I mean, mm-hmm. the way he was, like, you know, publicly embarrassed is definitely something to um, need to be reconciled. But to make his peer, his uh, better half, I'd say, or, like, his uh, friendly competition be ridiculed, barred, stripped of his clearance... Well, and have his legacy tarnished throughout the entirety of his of uh, of his uh, later life. Like, that's insane. 
Now, I whether think... that's fact or fiction, I do not know. I don't know if that's really how uh, Strauss uh, handled it. But I do know the, uh, what's it called? The meeting that uh, Oppie did or the presentation where he like made fun of Strauss. Mm-hmm. Sure that is true. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think it's pretty historically accurate in, in that regard. Um, and Strauss... I think the reason Strauss became so cold towards Oppenheimer is a yes. There's the obvious. They they dif- they do they they had many differences politically, and what they think should happen with the bombs. Um, I, I think. I think it's where the, a lot of people had division. What do you mean? With what they were going to do with the bomb, if the bomb should be made, like those were like pivotal points where well, but even. Were, it even goes further than that. Like even little things when they're talking about, you know, like uh, the, it, it wasn't even just what to do with it. Like there are little moments where they had like little disagreements on things and you could just tell they were two people that didn't mesh entirely well. But mm-hmm. I think there was an interview with Killian Murphy where he said that Christopher Nolan made him watch Amadeus. And if you've seen Amadeus, um, <laughs> Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart and Antonio Salieri had a very interesting relationship. Salieri very much respected Mozart, and he knew that he was a an absolute genius, and he knew that he was brilliant. But he also was there was a Hated hint of guess. jealousy there. Uh, again, two people that just didn't really mesh all that well together. Um, and I think there's definitely a little bit of that going on with, uh, with Oppenheimer and with Strauss. I think they respected each other. I think Strauss saw the brilliance in Oppenheimer, and I think he probably knew that he was right to an extent, which is why he had to try so hard to knock him down. Because, again, I think Strauss definitely plays more into the typical... Uh, political bs type thing where mm-hmm. it you know what i mean where it's like the dirtier side of he, politics he drank the tea he drank the kool-aid he he's definitely of what kind the of... status quo was whereas oppenheimer was more um how can you say more excited for the discovery of, of the bomb right but a lot of a lot of oppie's peers were like bro you know what they're going to do to you. You know exactly what's about to happen. The second you discover this thing, the second you test it, you know what's going to happen. Yeah. But you're still going to go with it. And Oppie is just uh, excusing himself with the idea of like, well, it's a race. Mm-hmm. But he actually really did just want to know. He he wanted to know if he could do it, I think. He just, he just it was, I'd say, probably a selfish... Uh, uh, race for him like it was just something he wanted to do himself and he want or like he yeah. wanted to he wanted to find a way to discover it Strauss reminded me a little bit more of like the house of cards type of politics where it's like it ain't all doing what's right you know what I mean yeah it, it's it's yeah. it's doing what you want to do versus what you know is right and mm-hmm. that's kind of that that's kind of where I, I fell with him um, no because you can tell with the with the with the meeting uh, were the fucking hearing that's what it's called you could tell with the hearing like 
this man really like had this entire thing planned out from the beginning mm-hmm. to pretty much fuck over Oppenheimer, all right. starting from the isotope uh, uh, incident. But you gotta, you gotta admit, it felt a little good to just see that whole thing just crumble in front of his face. Oh yeah, to see him not get yeah. confirmed as a part of it. Yeah, yeah, it, it was great. Um, yeah, even to see the guy that was helping him, his like staffer or whatever. That pretty much was, like like realized he was like, wrong. The you know? second Robert, the second Strauss like admitted to what he did, old buddy just flipped the switch and said, "That's how you know what you did was bad." Like when yeah. you're, when you're when your yeah. closest confidant is just like, "Hold up, you did what?" And just right. completely flipped the switch, the script on you. Yeah, what you did was grimy as fuck, and. I mean, you deserve not to be confirmed into it, like, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. So, golly, man. Yeah. Strauss was definitely one of those characters where you definitely felt like you're hurt by the realization that he was betrayed, but in the split second where it ended up blowing up in his face, you almost had, like, a felt of reassurance where, like, finally, you know, Oppie kind of got his, like, comeuppance, if that makes sense. But that's not to say Oppie wasn't that great of a guy either. Like, oh, buddy, just—I mean, he, he wasn't that great either. From being honest, like, yeah, he, yeah. he has his—he has his own skeletons. He—he he does, and I mean, but I don't think he was a terrible dude. I think he—I mm-hmm. think he made some bad choices, but I don't think—I don't necessarily think the the bomb was. Um, I mean, when you, like the poisoning the the teacher thing. I mean, that was. That's obviously he's got some issues going on, but I don't think the bomb was his fault. I don't think Hiroshima and Nagasaki was his fault. I mean, yes, to an extent, you could say he's the one who created it. Okay, so be it. Yes, you could say it's his fault. But at the same time, he didn't give the okay to use it. You know what I mean? He didn't. um... I thought, well, in the meeting, kind of did. Yeah, but he 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 didn't necessarily want it to go down in the way that it did, you know? Um, yeah. What did you think of the Trinity, the Trinity test? Now, in what regards are you talking about? Are you talking about like Christopher Nolan's uh, depiction of practical effects? Yeah, just that scene, that the scene. Okay. That was kind of like I'm not going to lie. We were moving towards it. Yeah. Like, that was like the hype, the biggest hype of it all. And I got to say... I found I and it's probably fucked up for me to say, but I found the flashes that Oppenheimer had throughout the movie much more um, mm-hmm. exciting than the actual explosion. Which I know that when it came down to the actual explosion, like the sound came a little ways after the first uh, explosion. If that makes sense, yeah. So, I'll say this though. I mean, uh, Christopher Nolan did a really good job using practical effects to depict the explosion that we got. And some people don't. I think some people think that like a nuclear bomb is like vastly different from like uh, any other bomb. And yes, it is. But it's still just a giant fireball that's just incinerating everything around you. Like that's pretty yeah, much what yeah. it is. So. Yeah. Don't take that take that with a grain of salt. Whenever I mean, whenever I say that, like, I feel like Christopher Nolan just made it seem like it was just any other any other bomb. 
but just yeah. made it to the point where it's like it was the most advertised and anticipated thing you're ever gonna see. I thought there would be a little bit more of like what you said with those little flashes where you saw like the like the slow motion, like the flame spreading and the like the particles kind of blowing up in which like I thought there'd be a little bit more of that um, going on. But the the build up to it was nice. There was a lot of tension moving in, even when when Matt Damon's character is. Um, hey, Jonathan Nicholas, what's up, man? Hey, even man. when when Matt Damon's character was, uh, you know, was having that conversation with him when it was raining and things like that. And he was like, you know. He, he when Oppenheimer was like, you know, we don't know if the nuclear reaction is just going to continue. And he's like, are you saying that we could destroy the planet right now, like with this test or whatever? And, you know, he's like, we'll find out in an hour and 58 minutes. <laughs> like the like that, like that. He said the likelihood is very, very minimal. When you saw them preparing to actually do it. Uh, Josh mm-hmm. Peck's hand, and he he's shaking before he like actually presses the button and things like that. It Can felt you imagine being the intense. person to like have the button. Like Oppie didn't have the button; he was happy to just sit back and just watch wherever the fuck happens yeah. happens. But to have Josh Peck sit there and be like, "If it looks like it's gonna go bad, shut it down," and Josh Peck's in there like, "Bro, I'm either going to create the greatest discovery of this generation." Or I'm just going to pretty much destroy this fucking world. And I said it. I think I told Sierra. I said. We really were like. Like Oppie was really playing with something that could have destroyed the world. Yeah. And we were not even thought of. Yep. If you think about it like that. What he did was a pretty big. I guess not. I I guess. (laughs) I guess it wasn't really a risk because they, they ran the numbers. And stuff like that. Like statistically speaking, it was not going to right. It was, uh, yeah. But it's just the fact that one percent of something of that magnitude. It's like it's like saying like you have a one hundred to one chance. Like if you push this button, that you're gonna die or you're gonna be a millionaire kind of thing. It's like, are you yeah, really yeah. willing to push that button? But the odds yeah. are in your favor. But like, are you really wanting to take that chance, kind of thing? And. Yeah. I think that's something Oppie did, and golly, like thinking about it, it's like everyone was either prepared to watch the greatest light show in history of mankind, or mm-hmm. just accept their accept their mortality and um, watch the world burn into flames, pretty much. Yeah, the the so. like I said, the the tension moving into the test, mm-hmm. I found to be much more effective than the actual visualization of the bomb blowing up and i mean of course the mushroom cloud looked incredible it was a mixture of like i think they used dynamite and like magnesium and like he used quite a few different things and they filmed it like at a different speed and things like that to like really Mm -hmm. get the effect of like the air catching on fire and like things like really like the bomb going off and it was cool it was well done um but I, I, the way he described it in interviews and the way people talked about it online, you almost expected it to like to well, blow you out of your seat, thing. and it wasn't quite. I think much. that's something that like I think is due to the fact of the screen that we watched. Because honestly, guys, there was no way that's in hell fair. we were going to find an IMAX theater to watch this movie. It we was going had to, to go be to very difficult. Yeah, and I so, didn't want to drive all the way to Cincinnati. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I didn't so. Want to do that. 
I think that was something that was to our disadvantage. I know the screen that we saw it in was relatively small, smaller it was than a smaller screen uh, than usual. Yeah. So I don't I don't know what it would have been like, whether in like Cinemark XD or Regal stuff or IMAX. Like, yeah, I know that would have been difficult. I I knew from the get go that it wasn't going to be, mm-hmm. but I was still willing to be like blown away by it. And I mean, I was I was given my I was given my cake and I ate it too. Like, yeah, I thoroughly yeah. enjoyed uh, the explosion that we uh, that we had and. I thought the way he did the practical effects was really well done. And I enjoyed how they really put in the show of like what it exactly was that they created. Because now if you think about it, like the atomic bomb that they made now scales minuscule to what we are all know that we're capable of or what is already being built or what has already been built. Right. So I think, Christopher Nolan just wanted to showcase that like what they were experiencing was something that was never before seen in all of human history. That's not to say that this happened before human history, but like this is the first like man-made thing that they created. So I think they did a good job with it. Practical effects. I think Christopher Nolan did a really yeah, great job. Was, I know Christopher Nolan is known for like his more practical effects for these grand scale of uh, uh, shots. So, yeah, yeah. Big, you know, you know what I thought it was going to happen. I really thought that um, what was going to end up happening was these little bits of these little bits of like the slow mo explosion of mm-hmm. the the nuclear reaction happening and the flames and the explosion beginning. I thought we were going to get a much bigger version of that like the those pieces um yeah like those quick cuts those pieces kind of in one bigger cut but it ended up not happening and that's okay i mean that was fine Mm -hmm. uh moda what's going on moda he says what up boys what's up uh so the the crux of the whole thing obviously i mean we kind of talked about their the whole you know they used the bomb after germany surrendered and we see the the effects when he goes into the rally when everybody's cheering him on and he's seeing people's skin coming off and he see like he bro it showed kind of, Oppie's can... foot to step yeah. into someone's chest like yeah. singed chest i was like yeah <laughs> like <laughs> not far like, off you of can what actually see, happened um you can see when he becomes the father of the atomic bomb and it's like people are cheering him on, but the, the, the intense and gruesome nature of how it killed people when they dropped the bomb really is starting to get to him. And he's starting to think about like, this is because of me. Like I didn't pull the trigger, but I'm the reason that this happened to people. And he starts to question if it even had to happen to people, you know, uh, which mm-hmm. is when we get the scene with Truman. And, you know, that was factual, by the way. I looked it up a minute ago. Truman really did say, get this crybaby out of my office. And it said as he was leaving, he heard him be like, he's got blood on his hands. I have way more blood on my hands. Like Truman kind of thought he was just being a crybaby about the whole thing. And, you know. The, yeah, because he, like he thought because like Truman was like, you made the bomb. I decided where to drop to it. To use it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was like... Well, and I think Truman really did see it as mercy. Yeah. 
that a lot more people would have died if they would have kept mm -hmm. fighting. Yeah, but there's also right the now, question of would have Japan would Japan have really kept fighting if they were the last country in you know what I mean that was mm -hmm. really all about it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, but Yoss like the way Truman saw it was he kept ha he kept seeing the casualty rates go farther and farther and farther and farther, and he just felt like if this is what's going to end it, I'll end it now. Like mm -hmm. fuck it. And yeah. whereas Oppie. I mean, he was creating something that was easy, easily going to be like the most powerful bomb known to mankind. And yeah. he was of the idea, like, do we really need to use this? Like, this is really bad. Like, like right. that's where the theology has. That's where the theology question comes into comes into play. Well, and, and for me, you know, the thing is, like, when you get into the end of the film, and when you get into, um. I even remember how the end of the film ended. Well, the the last third of the film, when you get into the, like the trial for Oppenheimer and the conversation he has with Albert Einstein at the end of the film, you know, Einstein's fear from the very beginning was that they were going to start a nuclear chain reaction that would just continue and that it would ignite the atmosphere on fire, which apparently scary as hell. Apparently, is a real fear. Like that could legitimately happen. Mm -hmm. scary like i don't i don't like that that's freaky to me um the whole thing is freaky to me but uh that was his fear from the very beginning and the thing is he was advocating against further nuclear development with the hydrogen bomb and with other nuclear weapons because he he felt the the immense pain and the regret um, and the guilt from what it did to people and I think he he realized that you know what's the end game here like that look at what this did to people mm -hmm. uh, and, and this you know and, and we look how hard we pushed to get here and look what it did if you continue going bigger and bagger bagger big, bigger and badder bigger and badder what what are you gonna do? Like what? Like it's it, at what point is it like? Okay, it's big enough. It's strong enough. It's bad enough. You know. I think he really feared. There's always what, a bigger bear. I know. Like I think he feared what could be, and I think mm -hmm. there's a double metaphor there. Yes, there's the literal meaning of starting a nuclear chain reaction that could ignite the atmosphere and destroy the planet. Like, yes, that is that's a legitimate thing scientifically but when Einstein says that uh, or uh, you know when he asks Einstein at the end of the film you know what was the what was the thing that you feared from the very beginning and you know he says um, about the nuclear reaction that could destroy the world and Oppenheimer's looking off and he says what if we did there's a double meaning there in that uh, um uh what am I thinking? Um, there's a double meaning there in that they started this nuclear train. Now Arms they have race. the hydrogen bomb. Now they have the U-bomb. Like, my, my wife and I were in Pensacola um, a couple weeks ago, and we went to the AVIL, uh, the AVIL, the Naval Aviation Museum, which was really, really cool. A lot of really interesting stuff there. But they had a replica. It wasn't an actual bomb, but they had a like a, a a metal replica of what the bomb dropped on Hiroshima looked like. 
um, of the the big the fat man or whatever it was called, mm-hmm. and um, they had a replica and they had a whole section about you know they had the times that the bomb was dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. They had transcripts of Truman talking on the radio. They had all kinds of different stuff. Just a whole section on that event. And there was a little thing about Oppenheimer there. And there was a... I I should have pulled the picture up here. I didn't even think about it. There was a diagram of uh, nuclear capabilities throughout, you know, from the time that uh, of the Manhattan Project to today. And you know, you see it, and this is one of those moments where it's like, it kind of hits you, it's it's real, it's not just a movie, it's not just a story, it's real life, these things really happened, and these capabilities really exist. That diagram, the bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the mushroom cloud is about that big in the diagram. The, the I think it's called the SAR bomb, like C-Z-A-R bomb, that Mm -hmm. Russia developed, which was like the last big nuclear test, is like that big, the mushroom cloud. Like like the capabilities we have now. And and I think that was what he was worried about. He was worried about the the, the chain reaction, not even igniting the atmosphere, but the chain reaction of people are always going to want bigger. It's never going to be big enough. It's never going to do enough damage. They're just going to want bigger. And at some point, you have to think to yourself, like, okay, at what point does does it not even matter anymore? Like, if we if there was a full scale nuclear war, uh, and this is what makes the uh, people struggling to find the the profoundness in in the film. I think the ending shot where he's having the vision and he's seeing nuclear war happening and you're seeing all the missiles shoot up and when you see the fire spreading through the atmosphere, I think that's kind of like the, that's the crux of the entire thing is like, at what point does it become pointless to even use it? Because if we were to use the bombs that we have capabilities of today... It would it would destroy the plant. Nobody wins. You know what I mean? No side wins in that scenario. And I think that's what he was afraid of. And that's kind of what I think that's what Christopher Nolan was trying to say. If there was a message in this movie, I think that's kind of the thing that I took out of it. Um, And I think that's the thing to take out of it is Oppenheimer was right. He was right. This is a, a chain reaction of events that started with the Manhattan Project and with Trinity and then with the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And, you know, I mean, obviously there are, there are United Nations procedures in place that, I mean, nuclear weapons are not used anymore, thank God. Um, but I just, I, there's that constant, it's scary. There's that fear of like, holy crap, this is, this could happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this is not, he, he was right. Like, there there's, there's got to be an end game where it's like, okay, this isn't having that kind of weapon te- weaponized technology is not even it, it's not even useful anymore. And and I it, it's it was very profound. I, I've thought about that ending scene quite a bit. Um, and, and when Einstein tells him, now it's time for you to live with the consequences of your achievement. That's the consequence that he's gonna that that vision 
is the consequence that Oppenheimer had to live with. And if you see him, uh, the actual person, Robert Oppenheimer, in that clip when he says, I am become death, the destroyer of worlds, blah, 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 blah. The dude looks, he looks very broken and very troubled. I mean, I, I think this is something. Was, I, feel, I kind of feel like that line was very cheap end in that movie. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I, I, I kind of waited for that to happen and be a little bit more profound than it was. But yeah, um, I, yeah, I, I just I think I think the the ending scene and everything about um, the trial, all of that kind of built towards that final message of like, Okay, he was right. The the capabilities just got worse and worse and worse and worse. And we we have the power to destroy ourselves. And I think that's I mean, that's kind of the you could use that as a metaphor for a lot of things. Not only just the nuclear weapons thing, but I mean politics. Like look what's going politically, like it's some point I, I know I'm digging really, really deep here. I'm getting real philosophical, but like I mean not only with the nuclear weapons but climate change politically i mean like people we have the power to completely destroy ourselves like mentally physically emotionally like and it's just kind of like this idea of like okay are we gonna do it or not it's scary Mm -hmm. it's a scary thought i'm gonna i'm gonna hop off the soapbox now <laughs> that was a lot. I know well, that, was, I mean, that was very philosophical and of a lot, but and 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 that regards though. I mean, overall, I you, you gotta you gotta give the movie its roses, honestly. Oh, okay. You gotta give the movie its roses because this film definitely depicted uh, the story of Robert Oppenheimer and the race to the atomic bomb very well, and really delved into the psyche of what this project did to almost every one of the scientists, not just Oppenheimer, but like every scientist that was involved in the project and would soon set the seed for what we have now come to now know and realize with what Brad has been uh, explaining with what the problem that we have now. But I think that this just already, I think that this movie in general already like, you know, reaffirms the idea that we already know of like why we don't have or use atomic bombs that we ha- that we are capable of now like Zarbomba like you're it's like mutual destruction pretty much to use something of that magnitude if that makes sense so but for stuff that Oppenheimer made no they'll throw shit like that next <laughs> with little to no uh, cares in the world like yeah this this world is is completely okay with Oppie's uh, bomb, with not without a doubt. Right. But we are of the understanding, though, that if we use it, we are setting the precedent that that is free game. That makes sense, right? So that's why a lot of these, uh, you know, arms are just you know outlawed or just not uh, really used because, like. Everyone is of the opinion, even Russia is of the opinion, even though it seems that it's not really the case, but they are well aware of the idea that, like, if we throw a stone, if we throw dirt, they're going to throw a stone. If I throw a stick, 
I'm going to throw a boulder, and then I'm going to throw a bigger boulder. And it's, it's going to keep piling on and on and on to the point where we have self-reassured destruction. Yeah. So, I mean, this movie pretty much depicts that really well and also hints at the story of Robert Oppenheimer and what he went through. And what he went through is something that I kind of like expected, honestly, for someone who created such a destructive force of nature now. That's now uh, man-made nature. So, yeah. I mean, bravo to Christopher Nolan for his achievement and right. his, what, quote-unquote, first biopic, if that makes sense. I believe it's his first yeah. biopic, yeah. So it, it just it, It's a big question in, was it even worth it? Is it worth it to even have the technology and to have the science and the capability of that. And that's kind of, I mean, that's, it's a big, very big question, but I think it's one that Christopher Nolan um, proposed really, really well in this movie. Not only was this a movie about a very interesting person, but it kind of, it makes you think about the implications of what we have and about what actually happens. So um, this one is a 9.8 out of 10 for me. I really, really enjoyed it. Oh. It, Definitely lived up to the hype. Uh, Miguel, what about you? 8.9 to me. Really? 8.9? Yep. Solid. Um, solid movie. It, it really is. It is a very, very solid film. It's definitely... I don't know if it's my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. We should rank Christopher Nolan's movies. That'd be awesome. Or do our top five or something. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be a show. That'd be dope. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it's not my favorite of his films, but it's definitely in like my top two or three. It's It's really, mm-hmm. really well done. Um, and it's kind of different from the other stuff he's done, which, which I, I, I kind of dig. So, uh, listen, we're two hours in real quick before we get out of here. Mota said, uh, off to, uh, off topic, sorry, but got anything exciting planned for spooky season this year? Well, my friend, that's a, (laughs) I'm glad you asked. Um, the, uh, the teaser trailer for this is on the channel now. You can go check it out. But we are doing the second Let's Talk Movies Oktoberfest. It begins on September 29th. Uh, and we have, I, if I may, if, if I do say so myself, uh, I think it's we have some of our coolest content we've ever had planned for the month of October. So yeah, a couple I of agree. Cool things. We've saved a lot of like Halloween like franchise, like Michael Myers content for then. Um, mm-hmm. specifically and I'm we're I'm looking at throwing in some other stuff too but it's it'll be it'll be cool it's going to be a, a fun celebration of spooky season and I think uh I think we're going to enjoy it we're going to have a good I think time. people are going to be really interested to tune in so feel free to yeah, tune in September 29th uh that's where the party begins yeah oh and and the teaser trailer played at the beginning of this show too I've been playing them at the beginning of each live stream just to kind of get it out there even more so you can scroll after we're done here scroll back to the beginning of the show or you can watch it on the channel either way the, the teaser trailers out there so um also said what are your top three christopher nolan films um without thinking about it the dark knight is in my top three i don't i'm not going to give an order the dark knight's in my top three interstellar's in my top three and probably oppenheimer would be in my top three i don't know what order i'd have to think about the order but those would probably be my top three right off the bat. I love Interstellar. Love it. It's I weird, say, but I love it. I would say Inception, Dunkirk, and... Ooh, Dunkirk was good, too. Yeah. Inception, Dunkirk, and... 
don't know. I haven't seen Tenet, so I can't really give any any prescription on it. And Tenet... I don't want to say Dark Knight Rises because it's too fucking easy. Tenet was. It wasn't my favorite. It, it was it was decent, but Tenet got Tenet got strange. Yeah, in a few places. It was very very strange. And oddly enough, Julia loves Inception. Inception's not really my favorite either. I like Inception. It's good. But I there are other Chris Nolan movies that I prefer more to that. I don't know that I've ever seen Memento all the way through. I've seen I know I've seen at least like a, a third of it, but I don't think I don't know if I've ever watched it like straight through. That'd be a good watch one night. That'd be a good classics revisited episode. All the yeah, Chris Nolan be. movies, man. I dig them. <laughs> hey Chris Nolan, if you ever want to be on the show. We'll interview you. It'll be a great time. <laughs> that's yes, gonna, when you that's have the not going to happen, but it's okay. Yeah, when you have the time, when you're not making the next hit. But um, listen, guys, thank you so so much for joining us. Episode number one hundred and sixteen of Let's Talk Movies. Uh, be sure to leave this episode a like if you have not already. If you are listening on Spotify or any of the other podcast platforms, I promise to get this up within the next day or two. Um, be sure to head over to the YouTube channel, hit subscribe. We are at 831 subscribers. It was at 830 and we, uh, we got a new subscriber today. So, uh, whoever you are, thank you. We love you. Um, but be sure to leave it a like. We love you all. Uh, we're really hoping our, our goal is to hit a thousand subscribers before the year is over before December 30 foist at midnight. That'd be really cool. Could you imagine if we hit a thousand, like as the ball was dropping, LOL. That reminds me of like how people would like build your subscriber count all the way up to the closer you get another number and then you get trolled and it goes all the way back down to like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have you seen those? Yeah. Those, I want, those I get feel, really sad. I, feel I will like that never happened, uh... I will never do a live uh subscriber count. One, I feel it's a little little pretentious and at the same time I I fear that something like that's gonna happen to us. I feel like that happened. Uh, I I remember being in the live chat when uh, I was in the chat when Mike and Jay over at We Watched a Movie hit a hundred thousand, and they like like they counted down and it hit a hundred thousand during the show and like everybody was freaking out or whatever in the chat, and then it jumped back down to like ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine, and I was like I was like Julia hit subscribe right now and she be like I, she was like the hundred thousandth subscriber <laughs> to get oh, it back up there. It was awesome. Um, but Moda said you guys are going to blow up this October. I can feel it. Love you guys. Thank you so much, buddy. We really, really so appreciate much. that, man. Uh, we love you too. And um, yeah, it's going to be a good time. We're looking forward to it a whole lot. I got to get get on the ball now with planning something with like actually like filming stuff now. <laughs> it's that time. We got to get, we got to get rolling. I feel it's... like that was like something we should have said. We could have said like post live show. But it's oh, it's okay. It's all right. It's all right. We're human beings. It's all right. But uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter or X, whatever you call it. It's always going to be Twitter to me. I thought about changing the icon like on screen, and I was like, I'm just going to leave it. Who cares? Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, X, and Threads. That's too much. At LTM Podcast KY. Uh, you can. Uh, I, I, I don't know what I'm saying now. New shows premiere every week at some time. We love you. Bye. I would not be leaving with that <laughs> attitude. Um, you better do that shit right we do new shows every single week at 8.30pm eastern and typically uh, we drop new videos every single Tuesday night at 8pm as well we love you you're amazing follow us on everything 
whether you like us or not. You could think we are hot, steaming garbage. Still follow us on everything. Be yeah. Great. So, we love you. Blessed to be here. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Peace. Peace.